Thank you. Perfect. Hey, uh, I feel like just with our little introduction here, I'm going to be preaching to the choir, and I'll be surprised if uh, you do not know all of the scriptures I'm going to hit today. But uh, I consider it a real honor um, to be able to speak to specifically those that would respond to this seminar's title and description. Because what it tells me is that those that have, you that have come, that um, you have a certain paradigm already existing within your understanding of how the kingdom is going to move forward. The question I want to ask you starting off at the very beginning is how to turn a nation. I think all of us would probably in this room 100% agree that this nation needs to be turned. I'm uh, originally Canadian, still Canadian, but I just passed my exam to become an American. And I promise you, I would... Pro- Amen. I'm proud to be an American. And I promise you, I could probably beat most of you at history and government right now. But uh, to turn a nation, the statistics are out there right now, and I'm sure you, some of you have heard many of the statistics that by the time the 13-year-old of today reaches the college campus, less than 4% of those on college campuses will ever go to a church. So there is despair within this merging generation. And my guess, you would say the same thing about your peers and friends on college campuses and workplaces that you guys go to. That there is actually a, a, a certain bewilderment and a and a uh, discontentment with the condition of the spiritual climate within this nation and your generation. And the answer that many are having is creative ways to redefine who we are as the church. And so there's lots of healthy discussion on what does church look like. Let's take it to the pub. Let's take it to the house group. Let's take it to the Starbucks coffee. There's lots of healthy conversation on redefining leadership, redefining everything. And we are busy trying to figure out how do we meet the current crisis within this land, the spiritual crisis within this land. And the questions are all out there. Um, Do this type of program, redefine it, reshape it, and put it back out there and do it this way. And the reality is, is my opinion is, is that has been done all through the centuries. Of redefining, relooking it. At, at the way things are to progress and move forward, and we look at our neighbors and we say to them, how are we going to impact them? I'm very familiar with doing evangelism and outreach. I spent close to 10 years in Europe with Youth with a Mission. Evangelism was very much the, the focus of my life. I know what it feels like to look at somebody who's broken, wounded, whose eyes are blinded by deception, and look at them having the gospel, knowing the story, and having a complete inability to speak and to move them. I'm sure many of you on college university campuses, you know what it means to look at your professor who's an atheist and have a heart for them, but have an inability to see the power of God break through where they will fall on their knees and cry out for mercy because conviction has hit their heart. And it is as I spent 10 years in the mission field, I came to one simple conclusion. What I was doing was not working. I had gone to the mission field like you go to your college campus. And you see the lost, the broken, you hear the stories. Young men, young women, horrible things happening to them. Young men, all they live for is A, B, and C that leads their life to destruction. You see 
the, the uh, discontentment in this generation, your hearts are moved with compassion for them. My heart is moved for compassion for this generation and for direction the nation is going. And I was that similar way in YWAM. I would go, I was in the, the last four years I lived in Budapest, Hungary. I went down into Sarajevo. My finger put it into the hole of a young man who had a hole in his leg shot with a sniper. Six-year-old girl lifted up her shirt. It looked like a spider web where a sniper had shot her through the belly. Story after story after story. And then you look at them and your heart is truly moved with compassion. But I remember the barrenness of having an inability to bring change that would have effect in eternity on that life. I'm very familiar with a feeling of barrenness. Now I'm going to be completely honest with you. Some of you in this room have not yet come to the place of feeling despair and barrenness and an inability to touch them. And what, what Isaiah called where some of you are at is youthful zeal. Now youthful zeal is unbelievably powerful. I'm 39 years old and mine's starting to wane. But youthful zeal is powerful. But I want to tell you something. Youthful zeal, putting together a program that has no oil on it, is going to amount to nothing in eternity. What I mean by oil is the Holy Spirit breathing on it. So you can come up with lots of creative activities, creative ways to reach out to your campus, intellectually challenge them, unique ways of presenting the gospel, get the plasma screen TV out and the coffee shop and go that approach. However you go about that way, If it does not have oil on it, you will look like everybody else and there will not be power to set them free from the demons that are possessing or oppressing them. They will go home and have nightmares and wake up with suicidal thoughts and your intellectual conversation will amount to nothing in their life. We need power on your lives, on the campuses of America to bring transformation and to turn a nation. And you cannot turn a nation without Holy Spirit power resting on your life. I know barrenness. I know an inability to move a life closer to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, you will not do it. It will amount to nothing. You will have lots of great meetings. You'll sit around with all your PDAs and your iPods and thinking creatively. But at the end of the day, all of that energy that you spend on planning that you spend on being creative, if it does not come with the Holy Spirit power on it, it will not move anyone closer to eternity. I'm going to tell you a little bit of even the one thing story. I take, I get my job description, I'm supposed to put on one things. So starting out, I'm all nervous. I'm doing all this planning. We got the t-shirts. We got everything all lined up. And I put a ton amount of energy into organizing this, what we're doing. And as I got into it, we did it a couple of years, year two, year three, year four. The infrastructure and all of that kind of got built. And now I'm at a place where I just want us to make sure we get started on time. I want to make sure that people have a place to stay and that we have worship. And that we're kind of organized and we look like we know what we're doing. Even though we don't know what we're doing, we kind of look like we know what we're doing. I am way more interested now in actually when we go into worship, is God there? Because you can attest to this. You go into worship and the presence of the Lord is there. 
And as we go into worship and you hear the preaching and the instruction, that does something on the inside of you. This last worship set, I was just standing there watching. I saw hearts loving God. The presence of the Lord was there. You guys were touching eternity. Now that will bring transformation to the heart of an individual. And that will cause change if the presence of the Lord is there. And I am way more interested in the presence of the Lord and the power of the gospel than I am having a slick campaign being organized and they walk in and they're oohed and awed by your presentation. But when the ministry time and they come forward, it's limp in its ability to bring transformation. James, he says this. James 5. Confess your trespasses uh, um, to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Then he makes this amazing statement. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James says, I want you to guys know something. Holiness and living right before the Lord is necessary. Confess your sins. Live right before Him. And then he said this phrase, which I love. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now the effective, fervent prayer. Fervent prayer in my mind is not somebody on a microphone screaming. Now, some people pray like that, and that is completely acceptable. But fervent prayer is somebody sitting in row 15, their eyes closed, communing with God, also saying, Holy Spirit, Duke University needs revival. Duke University will not make it unless the power of a righteous God breaks in. Send your spirit to my campus. That's a fervent prayer. Others will be screaming into a microphone. That's fervent prayer. The style makes no difference. How you hold a prayer meeting makes no difference. But those that will gather together in prayer, James says, the fervent prayer of the righteous, it avails much. You know what it means? It changes history. It changes future. Now the, now the, the idea of prayer makes, makes um, no sense to me in, in some ways. I sit before an invisible God and I talk to Him and it's time well spent. It actually has massive impact in eternity and it is an incredibly wise way to spend your time. Talking to an invisible God. Why should I not be out witnessing? Why should I not be out looking after the poor? All of those are valid and incredibly right. But James says, fervent prayer will change things. It shifts and it moves things. When you are walking before the Lord in communing, he says that type of lifestyle and that type of prayer causes great transformation. And I am beginning, I'm 39 years old, and I'm beginning to wonder, that if my most effective time, I have some 
I have a vision for my life. I want to spend my time incredibly well, and I want to have great impact. And I hope that all of you in this room want to have great impact. I want great impact. And I think, and I'm becoming more and more convinced, that my most effective time, the time that I will have the greatest amount of impact, is not standing talking to you. My most impact, I'm talking about actually actual numbers, I'm talking about greatest amount of impact in moving lives, greatest amount of impact in actually causing demons to move, open eyes to the revelation of Jesus will be spent. When I sit in a room, I close my eyes, I open my eyes, and I pray the scripture back to an invisible God. I think that I will affect more lives for eternity in the prayer room and in the prayer closet than I will actually standing talking in front of them. The most effective way to move history is talking to an invisible God. I love this story. Famous missionary to China. Became sick. Had to stay in bed. They walked up into him and they asked him, he said, how does it feel to no longer be able to preach the gospel and have your ministry like this? His response was this. He says, you have no idea what happens when I talk to God in this bed. China rumbles when I pray. That individual had a revelation of the power of his voice before God. Isaiah, he says it this way, Isaiah 64, he prays that amazing prayer. Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down? And then he says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard of a God who is like you. And then he goes on and he says this, or a God who acts on behalf of those who wait before you. You know what that means? The Eternal Father is looking for intercessors. He's looking for the prayer ministry. Those that actively wait before Him. He's looking for them. And He's looking through the nations. And He goes, where in America do I have ones that will wait before me? Where are they? In America. Where are those ones that will wait before me? And as He searches to and fro throughout the nation, He goes, ah, I've got a group. In Madison, Wisconsin, look at them. And he goes, I am going to act on behalf of those who wait before me. Do you know what that means? That the eternal God, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about God. The eternal God. He takes you and He bends down. He picks you up and He elevates you up to the place of governmental authority. And he says, how do you want my kingdom to move forth, to move forward? How do you want to help me administrate my kingdom? He is not asking that of the creative man who builds a great church and a great coffee shop. He's not asking that man how he wants to move forth his kingdom. He's looking for those that will wait before him. The mothers, the grandmothers, the 22-year-old college student, he's searching around. 
And he goes, where are those who are actively waiting before me? And it is those that he bends down, he elevates. And he says, let's change lives for eternity because I'm listening to you. He doesn't say that to the administrator who's so caught up in A, B, C, and D. He says, I want to find the people that are waiting before me. And it is these ones that I am going to elevate. And it is these ones that are going to help me walk out my kingdom. I am blown away. Truly blown away. As I am growing in my understanding of what happens when I pray. I've been in the prayer. I've been in the house of prayer for over eight years. I was there the very first night that we started, May 1999. I had no idea what I was getting involved with, truly. I liked the idea of power and revival. That's what got me in the room. And I had no idea what I was signing up for. But as I have gone on this journey of prayer, I am beginning to be so convinced I will never do ministry outside of me talking to God ever again. Ever again. I will be a man of prayer until I die. I will be a man of prayer. It is not a glorious calling because most of the time nobody is watching you. And that hurts. Being honest. Because we love to have activity, to be seen. We love all that stuff. But to show up day after day after day means a reprioritizing of many of your values in your life. It means you must have a growing understanding that when you talk to God, things move. But as I am growing in that revelation, I am actually beginning to enjoy and love it when I talk to Him. I feel Him. Oh, I enjoy Him. But I know that shiftings are taking place when I pray. I tell you, when I got up, in one of our 10 o'clock prayer meetings, praying for this conference, I was in a bad mood. I was in a bad mood. I walked into the prayer meeting. A, B, and C had gone bad. Trust me, I was in a bad mood. I sat down. I said, you know what, I'm going to pray. So I get up on the microphone, and something ignited within me as I'm praying. Two of my buddies have been there all morning. They're feeling God. They're enjoying Him. I walked in bad mood. I stood up. I know that that prayer is going to have impact in this conference. God ignited something within my heart. Something happened when I prayed that, that morning. I couldn't believe it. Faith broke forth. And I prayed for all of you who walked through those doors. And I know that as I was praying, things were going to break off many lives. I had such faith. And that was an hour incredibly well spent. I couldn't believe the faith that erupted within me. And it was about calling you to intimacy with God and holiness. Something ignited within me. And in that, I know that, we, uh, that things are going to happen in people's lives because I just had a burst of faith that broke forth in my life. Let's go to Luke 11. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Those of you that have been in the prayer prayer movement are very familiar with what a lot of these verses. I think it's necessary to look at them. Luke 11. Verse 
Verse 1, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. Verse, uh, let's go to verse 5, the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. Jesus has asked the question. He says, teach us to pray. He sees that John's disciples have a prayer life and he, they, they see Jesus praying. And he says, what are the secrets to an impactful life in prayer? Teach us the divine way to enter into prayer. And he goes into the Lord's Prayer. And then what is truly a little depressing on the, on the, on the forefront is his parable that he lays out. And the part that gets highlighted is he says, Persistence. Now, if you do the math, and those of you that are quick in here and smart will understand that as that was the first thing that he threw out in prayer, that would probably lend us to believe that your prayers are not going to be answered next week. Simple math says if Jesus is highlighting us to persistence, that means that actually prayer must be done on a continual basis. And you must know that you are probably signing up for the long haul. And I can preach a great message. I preached one once. It was stunning. You can respond. You can sign up for prayer. But you go home and three weeks later, it is going to be a challenge. And that pillow is going to feel incredibly beautiful. And you're going to stay there. You'll skip a couple. And a month later, it will be back to business as usual. If you do not have an understanding that you are signing up for something that's going to have impact, but it is going to take a while. And for those of us that love the drive through Starbucks aspect of life, it is important that you understand what Jesus was saying in this. He says, I want you to learn from this parable. He says, the key ingredient to prayer is actually just keep on doing it. Do it, and then do it, and then do it. He says, I want you to be persistent with it. I want you to come continually before me. Now, as I started out, I believe that the future of this nation, now this is a big statement, but I believe that the future of this statement truly relies on you, this generation, getting a revelation in the, in, in the power of your voice before God. If we do not raise up a prayer movement in America, I promise you, I promise you, we will go down the tubes. Guys, the direction this nation is going, we need revival and we need a great turning. And if you, this generation, does not rise up and raise up your voice in a persistent, continual prayer. I do tremble for the future of this nation.
But if you will get a revelation and an understanding that every Tuesday night, heat wave, snowstorm, I'm showing up. Four out of the five are the most boring hour I've ever spent. One of them was awesome. But the other ones, man, there was nobody moving in the room and it was dry. I want to tell you, heaven's ear is bent to you. Whether it's anointed, whether it's boring, heaven is listening to you. And if you get a revelation of persistently coming every Tuesday night, every Friday morning, whatever the schedule is, listen what will happen. I say to you, ask and it will be given. Jesus says, you come in persistent manner. You continually come in and you continually press in. What you ask for, you will get. You guys want to know something interesting? Totally random thought. Bill Clinton and uh, Huckabee, what's his first name? Do you know that they come from the same town? Do you know what that means? Quick math tells me this. Some grandmother was praying there. For two possible national leaders to come from, was it Hope, Arkansas? Like 200 people live in Hope, Arkansas or something. I don't know. Do you know what that tells me? There was somebody, a woman, a grandpa, I don't know. That tells me there was somebody praying, saying, from my little town, raise up radical world changers. They asked and heaven was listening. I am 100% positive. I'm going to take that one to the judgment seat. I am positive there was somebody praying in Hope, Arkansas. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And to him who seeks finds. And to him who knocks. And then he says this. And if a son, and if, and if a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13. If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He says, you have to know this. That when you go into your prayer room with your three college buddies and you shut the door, he goes, remember this, persistence matters. But he says, go into the place of prayer with a revelation of who you're praying to. He goes, I want you to cultivate and to have a growing understanding of who you're praying to. You're praying to the eternal Father. And he says, he is like no other father. And when you go, go asking for the Holy Spirit. Because the father wants this way more than you do. But he's looking for partnership. And he says, go into a persistent manner with faith asking. With faith asking to the eternal father. And then he says, and ask for the Holy Spirit. Guys. I want the Holy Spirit's power. I'm 39 years old and I've never seen the power that I'm hoping to see. Never seen it. But I tell you, I'm believing for it. Have you ever heard the stories? They're outrageous. 
Revival stories. Two miles away from a prayer meeting, people start falling. Nobody talks to them, but they start falling. And their, their request is, God, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. Two miles away. You know who's talking to them? The Holy Spirit revival sweeps through. There's a little prayer meeting two miles away. People hit the ground and start convulsing under conviction. That's called revival. Right now, my neighbor right across the street, African-American, cancer. She has a slender build. She looks like she's pregnant. She has a tumor in her stomach. I want her healed. I want the power of God to break in and touch that woman's body. Cancer to fall off of her and to her arise 100% healed. And I want to go in, and I've done it, and I'm continuing to do it. She's coming Sunday night, so be praying. I want her to be 100% healed. And I've gone into our prayer room. I've stayed in a persistent posture of asking for healing. I've prayed to my Father, and I've prayed with belief, saying, Father, break in with your healing power in Carla's body. I want the cancer gone. For you told me, ask, and it will be given. I tell you, we will have power over cancer one day in this land. That giant is coming down. The church will walk with power, and when we say, come out, be healed, they will be transformed. I promise you. It is not going to come any other way except the people of God, except this generation, except you having a revelation that perpetual, weak, unanointed prayer moves heaven. And in that, power will break forth. Do you guys want to know? There's a church, Seoul, Korea. Do you know how big it is? 800,000. That's one church. 800,000. Some of the smaller churches, they range around 10,000. I am not impressed with the American church and our numbers. Guys, how many million? There's close to 300 million people in this nation. And we, we're excited because we have a couple of churches of 30,000. That is nothing in this land. We need young adults who will live a life of prayer and who will walk out with God-ordained, anointed lifestyles that we will have ten churches in this nation, all ranging from 500 to a million members. We need the power of God to touch through this land. And it is going to come when you get a revelation to live before a holy God in the place of prayer. Let's go to Luke 18. Luke 18. Whoops, I'm in John. Luke 18. Sorry, I'm trying to find another verse too. Then he spoke a parable, verse 1, and said to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Interesting way to open it up. He says... 
Men ought always to pray and not lose hearts. Again, Jesus sets it up. Luke, he sets up Jesus' parable and he says, listen, prayer, you're going to be tempted to quit. He goes, because building a program gets lots of people in the room. It's fun. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. He says, you're going to be tempted to go down that route. But he says, I want you to not lose heart. He goes, I want you to stay focused in the place of prayer and not lose heart. And he says this. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. And now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversaries. And he said he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the then the, Lord's, um, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect to cry out night and day, though he bears long with them? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man has come, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus again highlights this widow coming before the judge. And he goes, This is what I want to see in the heart of those that pray, that pray. And he goes, if you will come with a persistent longing to press in. He goes, if you will give yourself to pressing in in a persistent manner. He goes, you will get justice and it will come and it will break in speedily. Speedy justice, to me, looks like you go in. One of your friends is dying of leukemia. Four of you go in, you pray in a persistent manner. Suddenly, in the middle of the night, the presence of God breaks in and touches that individual. The story spreads. 200 people show up at your prayer meeting. Three weeks later, you've got a prayer meeting of 1,500. Three weeks later, your campus is having revival. Three weeks later, 14 of the professors... Now, atheists now have converted and the power of God is transforming their families. That is what happens when we come in a persistent manner. Speedy justice. I don't know the timing. I don't know when it will happen. When the promises of God meet with time. I don't know when that will be. But if we stay pressing in, we will see justice come to the church. Wrong things being made right. I want that in your generation. I am not content to watch this generation go by and them not to have an encounter with the man called Jesus. I won't let it happen. I want those on college campuses, workplaces, to get a vision for prayer, to get a vision that will have an impact. Let's turn to Romans. Romans 8. I'm going to drop us in in a strange verse, in a strange way, but I just want to highlight verse 25. It's talking about, this is actually talking about prayer, this portion of Scripture. 
But verse 25 says this, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We hope for what we do not see. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you and challenge you. Read books on Charles Finney, George Wesley, excuse me, John Wesley, George Whitfield. Read books on them. Study history of revival. Study the Scriptures. Get a vision for it. And then hope for what you do not see. Pray for things that you do not see. And then he says, and do it, wait eagerly, and do it with perseverance. So those things that you do not see on your college campus, it looks dead, filled with humanism, completely liberal, sexual perversion everywhere, drunkenness every night, and you look at your college campus. He says, hope for what you do not see. Stand there. Look, vision, envisionate what would it look like for my campus to have revival. And he says, now eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He goes, hope and stand there. Look, anticipate, press, 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 and do it with perseverance. He says, if that is in the heart of a generation... I'm going to give you a money-back guarantee. You will turn a nation around. 3,600, Brian, college campuses? 3,600 college campuses. Bring it again. 26? With four-year programs in America. Four-year programs, there's 2,600. He'll give you all the statistics. Brian's the smart one. But if we get a vision to have prayer meetings that will have at the heart of them perseverance with hope. A group of ten, a group of two hundred, standing with conviction. I believe with hope and faith that something is going to change. Eagerly anticipating it with perseverance. If we will have ones that will posture in that manner with perseverance, I say there is great hope for a generation, not just a couple here and a couple there, 2,600 campuses covered with prayer. I'm saying there's a great possibility that we can see a massive impact in this generation. That which happened in the 1970s in a Jesus movement, that which happened in a great awakening that established this nation, I want to see it again. I want to see it again in this nation. And the only way it's going to come is if you will get a vision as a leader and you will stand up and you will rally people around you and you will give a call. This is the way we are going. Jump on because we will bring transformation if we will gather before a holy God and lift our voice. We need leaders like you to stand up. Take courage. You're insecure, so am I. Stand up and say, this is what we are going to do. This is how we are going to change a nation. you got a voice? Use it. Talk to your friends. Gather with hope, faith, understanding that your voice moves eternity.
You stand there. Say, Father, break in. Father, break in with power. And if we will see that take place, I am 100% positive we can have a breakthrough. But I think right now, one of the most, one of the greatest needs, let me say it that way, one of the greatest needs in this nation is a leadership with a revelation of prayer. We don't need more creative thinking. We need leaders. I want to talk to you young women. We need you to lead. I'm sure some of you guys are flipping out with your theology. I don't want to get into the discussion. We need young women to arise and to say, this is the way we're going. We need young men that will stand up and truly give yourselves, feed yourselves on this revelation, on this understanding. Let it be cemented in your belly that this is the way to bring change. This is the way to bring revival. This is the way to bring transformation. And you go down that road. I promise you, the impact will be enormous. Some say gigantic. Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, right now I ask you for an impartation right now. Just Everybody, just open your hands. We're just going to pray. Just take a couple minutes here. Heavenly Father, right now I ask for an impartation of grace in prayer right now. Holy Spirit, come on up. Holy Spirit, these ones right now, I'm asking for a desire and a grace in prayer right now. I'm asking for outrageous amount of just grace to be bestowed upon them. That these ones can spend three hours before the Lord and it will feel like ten minutes. I'm asking for a grace to enter into the spirit, into the place of prayer. Give them the spirit of prayer right now. I ask for an impartation. Holy Spirit, you do what you do right now. Touch their lives right now with the grace of prayer. Holy Spirit. Right now, come. Breathe on them right now, Holy Spirit. If you're a leader, or you're not even sure, but you think you might be, just raise your hand high right now. Father, right now I ask that you would baptize these ones right now with your Spirit. Afresh, right now. Father, I'm asking, bring forth leaders right now that will change and move a generation. Holy Spirit, breathe over them right now. Come right now, Holy Spirit. Baptize them with Your Spirit right now. Father, right now, here they are, Abba. I'm asking, mark them. Give them Your Spirit with great grace on their lives right now. Holy Spirit, breathe upon them right now. Come upon them, Holy Spirit. Put a fire in their belly. I ask for a release of the prophetic on their lives that would give them encouragement. I ask for dreams I ask for Your Spirit to aid them. Right now, Holy Spirit, come upon them. Release the prophetic. Give them great courage, Lord. Baptize them with Your Spirit, Lord. Those that are on college campuses, everybody else, put your hands down. Those on college campuses, raise them up. Father, right now, 
I ask and pray specifically for these ones. Father, in America, on college campuses right now, let us see a revival in prayer right now. In January, Lord, start revival prayer meetings, Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, establish something on 2,600 campuses. Abba, let us see from north to south, east to west, revival prayer meetings through this land. Starting January 08, do something we've never seen in America on college campuses. Revival prayer meetings, Lord. Establish them in this nation, I pray. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brian Kim, who is uh, quickly becoming a good friend of mine, he is. Uh, he proposed to us a uh, 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 an idea that now is fully becoming a part of the call, fully becoming a part of IHOP. It's called the Luke 18 Project, and he's going to be speaking to you next. I would encourage you, if you, you're not going to another seminar, to stay here. Um, and we're doing, is it January 2nd? 2nd through the 5th. We've got how many now? 350 leaders signed up for a three-day seminar. Is there any room? we got more room. And we are uh, um, establishing, we are going after now. We've been doing this for eight years, and we feel like now it is the time that at the House of Prayer, we, get, um, we start enabling and empowering prayer meetings in the nation. Amen. And so, Brian is the guy that's taken the point on this, and he's the Lord's really put this in his heart. He's, uh, he's 25 years old, an incredible visionary, and he really wants to get behind this. So I'd encourage you, if you don't want to go to another seminar, stick around. And uh, we'll take a little break, and then what time we get started at? 4.15, we'll start back up. Bless you guys.